Hey, Brian, this is David, um, and I am trying to demonstrate how one word works. So this is not a fair submission. Or but maybe it, you can. It could it. be if it's amazing. Yeah. I was watching Rescue Rangers. And... <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Oh, uh, I have a rescue dog. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to do. Yeah. And have you met Leo? Yes. So the Leo's... most angry dog ever. He is. And we are Leo's third family, and I would. I would kill anyone that tried to take him. I can't imagine that people gave him up not once but twice. They have to be rescued from her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I see how you did that. Yeah, that's how it works. Then you hit submit. Welcome to OneWord.com's podcast. Each episode revolves around one word. Today's word is rescue. Rescue can often be life or death, which makes it a bit ominous. Humans are tribal. We need each other. And we all try and act cool, act tough, and independent. But below this facade, this hallucination we call modern society, there's a part of us that's drowning in loneliness, that's waiting for that loving hand to reach down and pull us out and let us know that we are loved, that we are not alone, that we're okay. I like to think that we're always being rescued. Like sometimes there's that person that's walking like 0.05 miles per hour in the crosswalk in front of you, and you're like totally annoyed. But maybe that person stalled you just long enough to avoid a car accident or something. I can't help but wonder how many times we're rescued every day by seemingly random strangers and events. And it makes me question how random anything is. It was a rainy day, just like today. And I knew the only way I could conquer these alien spawn type flowers slash weeds in my yard was to go out there and get them while it was wet. So I was outside after a nice rainstorm. Ominous clouds were still above me. And I started pulling weeds. And after maybe two hours, I had an entire bin full of weeds. And I'm out there by myself. I'm totally disconnected from the world. I have my phone, nothing. Just me and the earth. And I go to tilt the bin back and I just do what I normally do, which is I pull it from the top and then I kind of push it with my foot. And I realize that I've probably pulled a couple hundred pounds of dirt and the bin just lands on me. So here I am in the backyard. I've got a bin, like a trash bin, just smashing me. I kind of probably look like Gumby a little bit, like... Both my legs are underneath. I was wearing wellies, so that was somewhat of a protection. And then both of my hands were pinned also under the bin. So I managed to get one hand out, and I'm just watching the clouds above me, and they're getting darker and darker, and I'm like, this is the day I'm going to die. My death is going to be caused by weeds. So I see a shovel nearby, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I have to be stuck here, maybe this is my moment. 
you know, where I'm just gonna have to take myself out with that shovel. But then I started thinking about whose fingerprints might be on the shovel. God, that would be horrible. They might be implicated in my death. So then I thought to myself, I just gotta get out of here and there's only one way. I need someone to rescue me. So I just started yelling, help, 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 in a super rhythmic way and nothing. And I don't know how long I yelled help Help. or how long I was under that bin. But at some point, finally, my next door neighbor came over and said, oh my God, I thought that was the TV. How can I help? And I'm like, you're going to need to get some other people to dig this dirt out and lift this bin off of me. Eventually, some new neighbors came over, probably mostly because of the disbelief when she said, you have to help me. My neighbor's trapped under her bin. And when they got there, they dug a bunch of the dirt out, lifted up the bin. And I remember standing up and feeling like flat Stanley a little bit. And they were like, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. And they said, you should probably go get checked out. I'm like, I'll go there in a bit. And I came in the house and I was looking at my hand and I did look 100% like flat Stanley. But if it weren't for them rescuing me, I could have been paralyzed. When I went to the emergency care center, I took two tiny hands with me and told them that I had smashed my hands and my legs with a trash bin. And so when they asked to see my hands, I had the tiny hands up my sleeves and I showed them the tiny hands, which I thought was hilarious. They did not find it as funny. But that is one rescue that I experienced. And I am grateful that my neighbors came to help me because I really thought I was going to die by a shovel to the head that day. I recall one time at the dinner table, my kids were pre-teenagers and we were eating spaghetti when one of them started choking, like can't speak, grab your throat kind of choking. I hopped up and went over to them like any mom would, proceeding my best attempt at rescue, which appeared to be my own version of the Heimlich, pounding them on the back and then the stomach, the back and then the stomach. Apparently, my child experiencing choking only felt the spaghetti noodle going up and down and up and down their esophagus with each of my non-procedural actions. Luckily, the large noodle or noodles eventually found their way down where they belonged, but no thanks to me. That only built my case with my kids that I am not a great rescuer in these kind of situations. I have received more advanced training since then, but like some famous quote says, every expert was once a beginner, and I think the same would hold true to being a rescuer. It's me, Grover Meyer Robobomb, and this is Restaurant Rescue. On this episode of Restaurant Rescue, we're going to take a look at Barney's Green Bean Hut and see if we can turn this place around. First of all, your your menu is too limited. It's mostly green beans. You need to expand. Second of all, way too many employees. Way too many employees. Everyone wants to get their hand to this green bean game, but you can't guarantee a, a livelihood for everyone. You got to cut loose all this dead weight off the vine, so to speak. The third thing you need to do is you need a much smaller parking lot. I don't know why this parking lot is so big. It's a very, it's a, it's a very specific restaurant. I take this stuff called Rescue Remedy. It's a blend of flower essences, and it's supposed to help with stress and an overactive mind and sleep. And it's so effective for me because I have such a chatty Kathy living in my psyche and she just doesn't shut up and it rescues me from her so effectively. I love that stuff. I think of Rescue Remedy, the name of a very fancy overpriced cough syrup 
that I might come across in a health food store, hoping it will rescue me from drowning in phlegm when I have a cold. I think of my southern grandmother, who would tell me, don't wait for a man to rescue you, Anne-Marie. No, no. A man will never rescue you properly. And then I think of treading water in a cold, cold, endless sea. Perhaps I'm wearing a life jacket and I'm waiting for a friendly ship, a boat, to come along and rescue me. Alaska is a place that, well, the thing is, it'll kill you if you're not careful. And one day, Father's Day, we were out fishing with a group of folks on my boat, the Lucky Dog, and we were heading back in to pick up my son. On our way in, we had gone by a series of fishing boats, and the boat in particular was the Brandy Ray Lynn, and we saw that it was stuck in one spot, and there was a man in the water, and the water in June is cold, high 40s, low 50s, and I didn't know what he was doing in the water, maybe fixing his nets. It's not uncommon for people to get in the water to fix their nets. And as we were driving by, we had to avoid his gill net, which was in the water. And when we saw him waving from a distance, I thought that he might have been just trying to wave us off from his gill net to make sure that we saw it and didn't run over it. And as we got closer, he didn't have his shirt on. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, why would he not have his shirt on? And he's in the water. I'm like, ah, maybe he just took his clothes off to get in the water to get back out and get into dry clothes. And as we drove by, some folks on the boat, namely my son, who's at the Coast Guard Academy, saw him, the fisherman still waving. And after about a quarter mile, I was like, oh, we should just go back and check. So we spun the lucky dog around, drove back up, and we saw the guy as he tried to reach up for the gunwale of the boat, then fall back into the water. Clearly, he was in trouble. So what to do from one boat that's four feet off the water against another boat that's five or six feet off the water. Can't get too close because you can squish the man. And so the only way for us to help him out was to circle around the boat and get my son and the other folks on board the Brandy Raylan. And once they got on board, I could then circle back around and take a look at this gentleman who was just hanging on to a ring on the side of his hull. And they reached over, they tried to pull him up, they slipped out of his hands, he fell into the water. And my son Ben finally hunched his way over, got over on the railing with another individual holding onto his legs. They grabbed onto his arms and they hoisted him up over onto the rail. Well, it turns out that the fisherman had gone out on his own. His boat had run over his own gill net and he had gone into the back to try and unhook the gill net from his prop. In the process of that, the wooden ladder that hangs off the back of the boat had broken and he had fallen into the water and had no other way to get up. He had been in the water for some time, hypothermia was setting in, and but for my son getting off of work late and having us go pick him up, and but for my other son noticing him that he was struggling on the water, would the man not have survived? So, that's my rescue story from Juneau, Alaska. My most significant rescue happened one summer in the frigid Atlantic Ocean in Massachusetts at a beach called Good Harbor. My husband had dropped our whole family off at the beach to settle in with his parents while he ran to buy a swimsuit. 
We also had a 13-year-old friend with us who had never been to the ocean before. The kids dropped their things at our spot and ran for the water at this unique beach that had some rocky outlets and an inlet that turns into a channel during high tide. As I walked down to the shore, I was barely able to put my feet in. The water doesn't warm up until late summer there, but my kids were already swimming happily. Within minutes, I realized that my youngest was having trouble swimming and my oldest had heard him screaming, I'm gonna die, and swam over to help him. Despite being strong swimmers, I immediately realized that they were both in trouble and ran into the freezing water with it taking my breath and my voice away as I tried to scream to the lifeguard, who ran in a minute after me. Now three of us and the lifeguard were caught in a riptide, being crashed against rocks jutting out of the ocean as wave after wave came in relentless. Luckily, the young lifeguard had followed protocol perfectly and he whistled down the beach for the chain of other guards to come help. This was good because, as we talked to that lifeguard later, he didn't have much hope for rescuing us, and he himself had his life flash before his eyes, believing that his family would have to cancel their plans to go to the Italian festival in Boston that weekend to attend his funeral. We were getting tired and seeming like we couldn't hold on for much longer. When I shot up a four-word prayer and thought about how my husband was going to come back from his swimsuit shopping experience to possibly find half of his family drowned. Soon after, we saw a chain being formed from the shore, with six people linking arms to come out and get us four of the lifeguards who had ran down and two bystanders from the crowd that had gathered to see what was happening. One by one, they pulled us out of the unpredictable current with outstretched arms. I remember the last link to the shore was a tall man in a baseball cap and a friendly face smiling at me. Once they got all four of us to shore, we sat and let our hearts calm down while they gathered everyone involved to fill incident reports. Everyone was there except the last link, the man who pulled us the final way to safety. As I looked up at the sky, walking back to our spot at the beach, I saw something I had never seen before and never seen since. A brilliant circular rainbow was completely surrounding the sun. Scientists call it a sun dog, but to me, it was a clear sign that the creator was watching out for us and working on our behalf in ways that we'll never know. There's a verse in the Bible that says, forget not to show love to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I always feel like the unfound baseball hat man just may have been such a help. They closed off the area of the beach for the rest of the day, but I later read a news article that a woman swimming with her daughter and her mom died in that same riptide there later that night. I don't have answers on these sad things of life, but I do know I'll never forget that rescue and the gift of every day of life thereafter. Will you rescue me? Will you talk to me in the dark when my thoughts get loud, too loud, and all at once and all over and falling over themselves and squeezing me until I can't breathe and I can't breathe and I'm spiraling and I can't think straight, but I can't stop thinking. Will you sit by me then? Will you rub my back? Will you tell me stories? Turn music on to wash all my thoughts away? Will you tell me that sometimes I do a good job when all I see are the mistakes? That a 93 is good and not to focus on the missing 7%? Will you be there? Can I call you without feeling more of a failure? Will you tell me who I am beyond what I see? Because sometimes I need somebody to save me from me. I am kind to the waiters 
to the lady at the checkout line, to the greeter at Walmart. I say, thank you. Have a great day. So I walk out the door. I call my students, lady and sir and sweetheart and friend. But I am not kind to myself. I call myself mess. And I am trying. I am trying and trying and trying. Sometimes I need somebody else to see me. I need somebody else to let me know that I'm okay. That nobody else sees the missing 7%. That this is life. And I'm not failing. And that I'm worth something. And it's more than a grade or what I do at work for a paycheck. That I, myself, not clocked in, not pushing pencils, not graded. I'm still worth something. Will you rescue me from me? Rescue. Oh, that's an easy one for right now. I lost my cat three weeks ago now. So I think of animal rescue. I think of going to the animal shelter here, looking at cats, hoping I see my little friend in there. When I think of the word rescue, I think of the times that me and my best friend were driving to a work function and we saw a bundled up little ball of hair on the 710 freeway on our way to Long Beach. And I hopped out of the car, grabbed him, picked him up, and and we managed to figure out services we could find near our job location. He was clearly out of it. He was not chipped. He was neutered. He was very clean. He was obviously very taken care of, but was in the middle of the freeway, and nobody knew how. And everyone else went to work, and I left him at the vet. And then at the end of the day, we all went back to our Los Angeles homes, left the dog in Long Beach. And my friend was already discussing getting a dog with his girlfriend. And they went to go pick him up in Long Beach the next day. There's a much longer story of how he came about to being the best dog ever. But I think rescuing him that day really changed everyone's life. There's something to be said about rescuing a living, breathing thing in front of danger and saving its life and seeing the positive effects of it. And it was such like a group effort. And it was like the best thing I think we all could have done. And if the stars hadn't aligned the way they did that day, like what would have happened? We were his, his rescue angels. And that dog is still around and he's the best. And uh, he's brought so much joy to so many people. I was in North Carolina. It was a really hot summer day. I parked my car at a grocery store and uh, I looked over and there was this SUV with all the windows rolled up and there was this Labrador inside the SUV and it, it was clearly panting like crazy. It was clearly not okay. And, um, I got, I got scared. So I, I just decided I'm not going to go into the grocery store. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait here at least like five minutes or so and see if the owner comes back. And if not, you know, maybe I'll call like 911 or something. 
so we can rescue this dog. And uh, as I'm waiting, I notice there are three other people in the parking lot that are doing the same thing. We're all worried about this dog trapped inside this SUV. And we're sitting there, and then uh, this, look, she's fat. I'm not saying she did this because she's fat, but she was really fat. It just happens to be true. And she came out of the uh, the Michaels that was next door to the grocery store. And she's got her bags, she's hands folded with all these bags. As she's walking, this, this other guy's like, lady, if that's your dog in there, you are a terrible owner. I was about to break the door open. And I realized that that's what we were all gonna do. We were all like collectively being a better dog parent than she was. And she got so indignant. She was so mad at that guy. She's like, y'all can't, you, you raise your own dog. You don't tell me how to raise my dog. And she got in the car and she was all pissed off and her poor dog was like, I just felt so bad for that dog. But that shitty, fat, redneck dog owner. Even just like telling the story right now, it makes me wanna, it just makes me mad at her. Is your dog a rescue? If you don't say yes, it seems that there's sometimes some harsh judgment that comes from that. And I get it. Some people get dogs and they shouldn't have them and so they end up in shelters and they need rescued. I remember being in Mexico in Waltuco and the dogs just kind of roam free in the villages. They go where they want to go and then they come home when they want to come home, which seems like the proper dog life really. And I was talking to one of the dog owners. We were just asking if she'd ever had any problems or anything like that. And she said, no, the only problems I have is white women from the States who want to come and be these saviors to the dogs and think that they have to rescue them. And I thought, well, that's probably true. So I try to be a little bit more cognizant of my theories, my beliefs, and my practices when it comes to the word rescue, because not every dog... Not every human needs to be rescued. Sometimes we just need a little space. I am not a picky eater, but this was just too much. Step back to 1986 and our dinner table with rust-colored carpet underneath and a creative parent's concoction of some sort of ham and apples dinner on the plate before me as I sit disgusted in all my eight-year-old self. This is Minnesota, land of hot dish and mixed fruit with meats that shouldn't be so I didn't want to finish it, but I was being forced to not leave the table until it was gone. And it seemed like it was going to be a very long showdown between a stubborn kid and some stickler parents abiding by the clean your plate theology. The good thing about that is parents don't have the patience to wait around doing nothing like an eight-year-old does. As soon as I got busy with dishes and cleaning up, my overweight yet adorable childhood dog, Dixie, a little snouser terrier that looked more like a barrel, wandered in under the table. My rescuer. Dixie was able to do much of the grunt work of eating the remains of my plate as I little by little passed pieces under the table. And I won in the end. That was over 35 years ago, and I still remember that honorable moment of valor and sacrifice from my hero that night. Thank you, Dixie. My name's Kimberly, I'm a lifeguard. When I started this line of work, I thought I was gonna be rescuing people. I thought it was gonna be like Baywatch. Like I'd be swimming out and pulling people from the clutches of a great white shark and performing CPR on a kid with cystic fibrosis or something like that. And it's not like that at all. It's mostly just reciting the list of rules that's already posted on the signs. It's a whole lot of, you can't park there. Just a reminder, we'll be closing at dusk. 
No drinking on the beach. You find a lot of kids making out. You do wander upon a lot of sexual acts. That does happen. That's somewhat exciting. But I have not uh, saved a single life all summer long. And to top it off, my tan's not even that good. One time when I was in high school, my sister had been taking us somewhere. We had a big suburban and a couple of my friends and I were in the back part of the car and she rolled up to our house, ran inside, and the neighbor kids around my same age came over and basically stole the car. So we're in the car and I think they just drove to like a neighborhood mall and then they got out and left and we were left in the car and we were all like freaking out because none of us knew how to drive. And we thought, how are we gonna get home? We're gonna get in so much trouble. I don't know why we thought we'd get in trouble when we weren't the ones who stole the car. And luckily, one of the other kids I went to high school with, who for whatever reason hung out with these bullies, decided to come and help us. So he came to the rescue and he got in the car and he drove us home. And I don't know why that that rescue was such an important part of my life, but honestly, it was a little bit terrifying. I don't know what was more terrifying, being stuck and abandoned or one of us having to try to figure out how to drive this huge vehicle. We didn't have that skill set. So I'm really grateful for that one kid in high school who was kind. Our squirrel legacy began one summer day when our beloved street cat Oliver came into the backyard where we were sitting with an unrecognizable creature in his mouth. He must have found it falling down from a nest as it didn't even have hair yet and still had its eyes closed. Because it only had a small surface wound and was still alive, we grabbed it from his mouth and took over caring for this little ball of nakedness overnight thanks to Google University. With heat pads, special feeding formulas, and eye droppers for care around the clock. You even have to help them go to the bathroom at this age with the warm washcloth. It was harder than a newborn, I'd say. It wasn't the cutest thing, and hopefully it lived and thrived when we got it to the experts, but it did give us street cred as baby squirrel caretakers, so that when neighbors found a fallen squirrel, they knew who to call as expert squirrel rescuers. This four-week-old second squirrel filled the palm of my hand. It had quite a personality. Loved to snuggle up in the crook of your neck or be buried in a hoodie pocket in a fleece blanket. It was the sweetest little snuggle creature ever. And if it wasn't illegal, I would have considered keeping it like Bob Ross did as a squirrel pet. My husband also wasn't a fan of our wildlife rescues and didn't want much to do with the squirrel. So when we went on a date to a concert that night, I had to be extra careful not to let on that our little furry friend was in the pocket of my sweatshirt the whole time. Needless to say, I was a law-abiding citizen who turned my new furry baby friend over to the proper rehabbers to care for him. When I dropped it off, the specialist was commenting that he was so cute that she might keep him. A little jealous... I knew my job of rescue had been done, but I continue to cherish the photos we have of this foster squirrel with sweetness and fond memories, knowing maybe sometime in the future, I'll be called on again. Dad, Dad, pick up. Dad, please pick up. Dad, it's me. It's your son. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm at Disneyland. I'm next to It's a Small World. I took a, I ate a, I had a, I ate a gum, I ate a cannabis gummy. I ate a marijuana gummy. And I got on It's a Small World, and now the ride's done, and I am right next to a tree, and I can't move. And all the children know that I'm high. Dad, I am so sorry. Will you come, please? Will you please pick me up? I am so sorry. I am so sorry. 
I'm high on, I ate a cannabis gum. End of message. As I get older, most of my rescues are related to some sort of meeting. Could be a work meeting where I have to tell someone, hey, if I'm not out of that meeting by like 2.30, will you please either come and get me or call my phone so that I can get out of Dodge? The other rescues occur when you're having to either be like at a family event, no offense family, but sometimes we need a rescue from you, or perhaps a date, whether like a first date or something. And so you collaborate with your friends so that they can help you to not have to be trapped in some of these situations for longer than necessary. So I really appreciate those relationship rescues, those meeting rescues. I found them to be very helpful. It's allowed me to get some of my time and life back, which I appreciate. That's a real good rescue right there. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of rescue is firefighters rescuing people. Like they are they are the ultimate heroes of our time. Like they will they'll run into a burning building. To save a bunch of strangers or or to save a building that they don't even have any connection to. Oh, I love firefighters. Back 15 years ago, we lived in a first ring suburb in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, a great community of people, houses built in the 1940s. We had rang the doorbell of the neighbor before we bought the house and she seemed wonderful. A few minutes encounter can easily be deceiving. After we moved in, this neighbor lost custody of her adopted son while driving drunk and reckless while he was in the car. She and her drug-addicted boyfriend went to jail for some time. And while in jail, the boyfriend made a deal with the gang leader, Small Paul, that he could squat in the house next to us when he was released, likely in exchange for some protection in jail for the scrawny man who had found himself there. Small Paul moved in next door with a bunch of other gang folks. I befriended him because it felt safer than having him as an enemy 20 feet away. Pumping bass and drug deals through the night were constant. Undercover FBI would show up at our door to ask questions. SWAT teams would penetrate their house two times in the middle of the night with flashbangs and window entries right next to our bedroom. It was the one house in our whole city that the police had marked with a red dot on the city map, likely to serve warning to the danger of weapons inside. One afternoon, I was going to our detached garage to get some meat from the freezer out there for dinner. When I walked in, there was a beautiful Ethiopian girl standing there, maybe about 19 years old, shaking and seeming very afraid. When I talked to her, she had told me in broken English that she had climbed out a bedroom window next door while someone was in the shower, but she had to get back in to get her papers. I didn't really know what was happening, but I knew we could help. I called the police and within 15 minutes, two officers, a male and a female, who were both easily under 20 years old, walked up the driveway and were going to help this young woman get in for her papers. They then took her and I don't know what even happened to her, but was grateful she was rescued from a situation she obviously didn't want to be in. When police and the owners were finally able to remove the gang of squatters from the house, we were allowed to go in and found items stolen from our own backyard, checkbooks stolen from other people, and a whole mess left behind. But the thing that stuck with me was how something so awful can be going on right under your daily life, and we can be oblivious. Some people might need rescue and escape right next door. This was not the last time I had to help someone being trafficked. There are ways to help. 
Check out love146.org to begin being informed, and you might get to be involved with someone's rescue at some point, too. so much for all your beautiful thoughts, stories, and PSAs. David at Barton Smart Trivia, Liz in Salt Lake City, Kat and Anne in Los Angeles, Danielle in Ashburn, Virginia, Emily in Fruta, Colorado, Mia in Austin, Adriana in Indiana, James in Eugene, Oregon, Ashley, Sarah, and Kevin in Sterling, Virginia, Chris in Juneau, and Scott in San Jose. I hope your kitty makes his way back home. Check the show notes for pics of the rescue dog and squirrel mentioned in the episode. And go to podcast.oneword.com to be a part of a future episode. Until next time. Word up. 911, what's your emergency? And it better not be some bullshit because I've about had it today. What's that? Darling, I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you are going to need to, first of all, whoever's screaming in the background, that is not helpful. Well, you know what? You get your shit together and you call back, okay?